listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 113 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. everyone and welcome to another episode of the movie podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making my name is Stephen Hovicki and as always I'm here with my co-host Hassan Godwin and Latham Conger III. Our guest tonight is a writer, director, composer who is mostly focused in the horror genre. He's written drama for the BBC and the Sci-Fi Channel, scored over a dozen films, released a few novels, had some hit stage plays and lives in Hollywood, rightly so. His latest works include a 24-volume box set of collected screenplays from Battery Film Text and his newest music release, an LP called When a Pill Becomes a Law. Drop his name into Google, Amazon, or any streaming service for a deeper look into his catalog. Darren Callahan, welcome back to Cinemental. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. I really appreciate the invite back, and I enjoy talking with you guys, so this should be a fun night. Yeah, every time I do the intro to the show, when I say my own name, I always think it sounds weird. Do you guys ever like get that when you like when you say your own name? It sounds weird to you. Nope, just yours. All right, that's fair. It's fair, I guess. <laughs> uh, anyway, so let's uh, let's all suffer from consumption. What have you been putting your eyes on, Darren? Uh, well, I should maybe highlight three things. Um, one, I, I, I like. I think you should leave on Netflix the Tim Robinson comedy sketch show. Uh, they have a new season launched, I think, just last week, maybe the week before. Um, what channel is Netflix. Netflix. Oh, Netflix. There's okay. two seasons. They're 20-minute episodes. They're very brief. There's only like six of them per season. A um, lot of guest stars and, and people. A lot of Tim Robinson used to write for Saturday Night Live. Uh, he was a player on it, but they didn't really put him in that much. His sketches are really weird. Um, my son actually turned me on to the first season, which came out, boy, like two years ago. Uh, and they were like comedy grenades where you don't really feel the funny of them until much later. You're like, hell yeah, that was funny. And then people in the family will start <laughs> quoting the lines. Um, and uh, pretty soon you're super into it. Well, the new season came out and equally so we all watched them and we're a little nonplussed. We're like, okay, this is all right. But in the last two weeks, we've, we've worked many, many jokes from there into our, our daily routine. We've watched the season two or three times and each time it's funnier and funnier. There are a couple of duds, but I would, I would highly recommend that particularly for avant-garde okay. Python-esque comedy. Check it out. Oh, very good. Also uh, Sunday night, I went to see um, Jonah Hill present defending your life. So this is one of Jonah Hill's Love favorite it. movies. Oh. So Love it. Jonah oh, wow. was there and with uh, Albert, Martin Brooks? Albert Brooks, Albert Brooks, Albert Brooks, Albert yeah, Brooks. Meryl Streep. So, wow, it, it's wow. my wife loves this movie. She loves Jonah Hill, so I surprised her with tickets to this thing, um, and nice. it was as entertaining as you you might think. Defending Your Life is one of Albert Brooks's best movies. Um, Al- Albert Brooks is Stanley Kubrick's favorite director. 
Um, he's always been like, I want to make a movie like Albert Brooks, but he never did. He never got to that. Didn't, <laughs> didn't quite have that. Panache. Wow. Um, but um, really lovely stuff. And really every time you see it, it's funnier and funnier. Uh, uh, and Albert Brooks, obviously neurotic New York vibe, but he, um, uh, he plays that better than anybody. So it's, it's, yeah. it's very good. And Jonah Hill was great. Jonah Hill gave a great introduction, read a text from Albert Brooks. He's like, what do you want me to say about your movie, Albert? So it's nice. Nice to just feel all <laughs> nice. And I guess the third thing I, I've been going through a Peter Himes a thon. Oh, very I, good. I actually have some gaps in this catalog and so few of it is available in any decent format. I bought outland on Blu-ray Finally, after a long time, yep. uh, it was on Blu-ray and I'm like, uh, wow, this movie looks great. It's a really cool sci-fi action high noon ripoff. It's high noon. Yeah, it's high noon. Yep. But uh, growing out of that, I'm like, boy, I need to explore more. I've seen Capricorn 1 and I've seen Running Scared, but I'm like, I need to kind of branch out. So I watched The Presidio and Star Chamber and Love it. Uh, Solid. Uh, Narrow Margin is up next. So I'm... Uh, oh, no, I, no, I no, hear no. bad things about that and the presidio didn't rock my world but i like star chamber that's pretty tight but then you've got time cop you know time up, cop which is, is coming, yeah i love time cop <laughs> <laughs> i saw about 2010 yeah yeah uh, you know i saw jvcd john claude van damme uh and i actually yes. one of the movies i recommended here somebody told me about it. i just watched it like two weeks ago for the first time ever even though the movie's 10 years old and it killed I was, I loved it. It was amazing. The best Jean-Claude Van Damme. So Time Cop fits right within that. So I'll hit two birds with one stone here. I'll, I'll do both. So. But yeah. And then he also did End of Days with Arnold. I haven't seen that, but I'll put it on the list. And uh, so, so the, not that great for me, the one, oh, he did the, uh, he did 2010 year. We make contact as well. Yeah. He did the sequel. I guess I, I have seen that. that. I forgot. He That's not that. bad. Yeah. That's really good. Oh, Hanover. Yes. He did Hanover Street with uh, Harrison Ford, and uh, that's the, uh, the romance, right? Uh, Kelly McGillis, Leslie, uh, Leslie Ann Down. Yeah, Hanover Street. I never even heard of that. It's a World War II thing with Harrison Ford. Yeah, seventy-eight. What year? Oh, okay, seventy-nine. His interim film. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. When he does <laughs> what I did over the summer. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Cap Capricorn one is the first movie I saw in a movie theater. Wow. Oh, that's cool. It's amazing. At the Catlow and Barrington. I'll never forget. That was, I love that movie. I think it's a very underrated. Film. Yeah. I like it a lot. There's a, maybe a little too much in the desert, but I really think Capricorn one yeah. works a lot. You know, the thing is Peter Himes is like, I felt about David Cronenberg five years ago. David Cronenberg was almost forgotten five years ago. Not much was around, not much was available. You know, uh, you could prime it or something, but it was like not a very good copy. Uh, now Cronenberg's come back and everything's on Blu-ray through Arrow or other providers. Criterion's released yeah. a bunch. So I feel good about Cronenberg now. Now it's Peter Himes time because all of those movies are in like <laughs> terrible formats with no extras. And the, like I put in the Presidio and it was like weirdly letterboxed and uh, it didn't look good at all. I'm only going to use my left thumb because my right <laughs> thumb is much too powerful for you. That scene was ridiculous. Yeah, that scene somehow worked. <laughs> it was it was ridiculous in a good way. Um, yes, it only works because it's Sean Connery. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, it works because it's Peter Hyams. Okay, are you not getting the point of this conversation? <laughs> I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I suddenly I remembered my Charlemagne. The uh, the one of the things have you ever, did you see his version, uh, his adaptation of Ray Bradbury's Sound of Thunder? No, but I actually I was reading Variety because I'm a Hollywood dork, Ooh. and there was a. <laughs> There was a whole page ad that was like one of those disclosures you have to make to the court where you promise to publish something. And it was for the rights of Sound of Thunder. It was basically like this movie owes a lot of money, but you can buy it on auction. If you show up here at this day, the court orders such and such and so and so. And it said it was a 2005 thriller with Ed Burns and that I've never heard of, but it sounds like it's out there. So, So it is one of my favorite Ray Bradbury short stories. And that's too yeah, bad. And the adaptation <laughs> yeah. falls painfully short. Mm. Maybe that's why it's on because, uh, yeah, probably. I mean, what they did was they ended up just taking the concept, stretching it out way too far. I mean, the short story, it's a short story, that's right? Fun. It's a short story, but it's more like a Twilight Zone episode. The ending of it is fantastic, and that ending is just completely lost in a cinematic form. And that's that's the real problem with it. What they ended up doing was throwing a lot of money at it and throwing it for a lot of, you know, CGI special effects and a lot of just a lot more stuff and and moved away from the core idea of what the short story really was. But, um, yeah, uh, I, I would recommend reading the short story and then watching the movie or maybe in, actually in reverse, because then when you read the short story, you'll appreciate it much more. But. Yeah, it's and I love Ed Burns. I like anything Ed Burns does. I'll watch him do anything. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. I do. What's that? I do not. You don't like Ed Burns? I don't like him in anything. <laughs> oh, okay. Including Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, he's, he's, I mean, that's, yeah, Saving Private Ryan's good Uh-oh. aside from Ed Misspoke. Burns. Misspoke. A <laughs> little, little, little bit of oopsie right there. A little, little oopsie. Ooh, no, there's, no. There's some poop I stepped in. I didn't in. say he was good in nothing. I said I don't. Yeah. You actually did do say that. That's that oh, effectively exactly what you said. I said I don't like. Oh. You, you don't like anything with Ed Burns. <laughs> you know what? Peter Himes has some bad movies, guys. Yes, uh, he does. Uh, Narrow Margin is bad. Uh, Sudden is that Death Gene, is, is that Gene Hackman and? Uh... Yeah, it's just yeah. okay. Uh, all I remember from Narrow Margin is he throws a rock to get these killers away from him. And I just, I remember looking over whoever I was at the theater with, I, and I said, did he just throw a rock to get out of that situation? <laughs> uh, sudden death is not good. And the relic is not, not really good. Uh, I'll movies, but he has some great movies too. So I'll agree with all those. Uh, all right. Running scared Fair too. Assessment. Don't forget running scared. Yeah. He actually, I like running. Which running scared? There's two of them. The, the one, one filmed in Chicago. Gregory Hines and uh, Billy Chris. I like that movie. Yes. That's Chicago represent. Yeah, indeed. And he's alive. He could make another movie. He's younger than Ridley Scott, I think. So get him more. All right. There you go. If he gets out of court uh, for yeah, Sound of was... Thunder, he should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. He did an amazing you, stories episode. If you haven't seen about. it, Darren, you 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 would understand. It is is remarkably okay. bad. It's not. It's not just bad. It's like I can't. Did you Did like, you read the short story, Hassan? Did you ever try? Did you, did you no, ever try? I just. I just know the movie. It's like yeah. the, even the production quality of the movie was like this. Is like it's a, just like eh. It's like they. It's like somebody didn't care enough, you know. Mm-hmm. But as I said, if you get a chance, definitely track down and read the short story because the short story and the way it ends is 
which honestly, the way the story ends is the whole setup for the name of the story. So, I mean, it's brilliant. The whole thing ties together so smart. And they just threw all that away when they made the movie, which is really just Bradbury. Did they take um, out the butterfly? What's that? The butterfly. Yeah, that's what, that's part of the story. Well, yeah, you can't take that part out. That's the whole point of it. Well, no. yes. well, Ray Bradbury is uh, my number one uh, fiction author. Uh, just put that out oh, there. Okay. I, I met cool. him one time and I'm also, I, I met Norman Corwin, his best friend. And we talked a lot about Ray and I know Sam Weller, his biographer, uh, the biographer for Ray. Um, and uh, oh, uh, very I'm, cool. I'm a giant fan. Martian Chronicles is my number one book. I also love something wicked this way comes. It's great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I never read the book for something wicked this way comes. I, I, I was, I always thought the movie was lacking a little something I thought it was good. Okay. I enjoy it. Yeah. I love yeah. something wicked, but I thought that there was just something a little missing and I've always wanted to go back and read the book. And I, uh, I really, yeah, Jonathan Price is, <laughs> is worth the price of admission there on the, on that movie. Cause it's a very yeah. early Jonathan Price movie and he kills, kills as the devil. He's, he's, He's but the awesome. rest of it, um, you know, it kind of captures the set design and, and some things, but it doesn't really get the magic. None of his films really have ever got the magic. Um, so one day I shall do a great adaptation of the Marshall Chronicles and it will be a hit. I like that. That that um, I mean, it was a little long winded for sure. But that 10 part made for TV series that they did was that 20, 25 years ago. Now? About the Rock Hudson one. Yes. Yeah, that um the, the thing is that is a it's more than 25. Yeah, 77. Yeah, it had to be. The uh was it that early? The okay. script is written by Richard Matheson and uh there's yes. nothing wrong with the script. It's actually very good. The production ran out of money and you feel it particularly on night 3. It's like it's like this is just a home movie at this point, <laughs> people. But it, mm-hmm. I still own it on Blu-ray. That's kind of a sounded that's what that's kind of what distant thunder, you know, feels like. It feels like you know, this is like a a, a pet project of someone's, mm. you know, <laughs> you know, just just from from a complete, uh, you know, novice perspective. I'm like, this is just this just looks terrible, you know. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel you. So uh, made my point. <laughs> so <laughs> much. <laughs> Enough, enough beating of a sound of thunder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I give up. I and another up. thing. And another thing. Act um, three. <laughs> how dare you even call it a sound of thunder? Um, <laughs> there was no sound at all. And actually, I think the story is called The Sound of Thunder. Not, it's not even A Sound of Thunder, uh, uh, which made even less, which is why it makes even less goddamn sense. But it, it, anyway, get, we got to get away from this. I know. You just get sucked right back into the negativity. <laughs> we're all turning it. We're all turning into monkeys. Um, it's called a sound of thunder. Yeah. The story? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, it's a sound a sound of thunder. Okay. A, All right. I, I was wrong. You were correct. No, I, I didn't. I know I you appreciate that. I, so I didn't um, know. But you didn't you just say that? You said that. No, you I said, said that they I, changed the name I, to I said I thought that the story was called The Sound of Thunder. And Lady oh. cor- corrected me and said, No, it's still called A Sound of Thunder. Oh man, we're bad I at that. No, I couldn't remember. It's in one of my sci-fi story. It's been a really long time since I've read it. I just I remember the the, the moment I finished it, I absolutely fell in love with that story. It's like I thought it was a lot older. Fifty two is when it came out. Wow. There's a there's a short story by Theodore Sturgeon called Microcosmic God that oh, I absolutely yeah. love oh, too. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's a brilliant one. 
but uh so yeah so my week consisted honestly uh of we've been watching nothing but but bad reality tv and uh in our evenings so <laughs> implying I'm, there is such thing as good reality tv well i <laughs> mean point. great point there is you know i mean there's entertaining reality tv and good or bad is completely Amazing subjective race. so we watched too hot to handle so we're, we're kind of right there with you everyone's got something that they that they'll you know i mean listen well deirdre and i uh, ran through 30 seasons of amazing race just you know letting it play in the background in the office well when we after we you know after the, when the pandemic first started that you know we went through all 30 we seasons. all have summary pandemic regrets, show, i'm sure yeah that show steve at least there there's no real uh i don't know the right word you know what they're not trying to fake anything by you it's actually a competition and a race you know what I mean? It's not Real Housewives where they have to fake the drama or Survivor where. No, but they definitely have people acting up out Maybe. of like, you know, because you don't know. I mean, who knows how these people really are? And and I guess. Yeah, it just person. seems more real. That's the only reality show I've ever, ever been entertained by. I, I agree. I, I think it's the the design of it works in in a, in a way that there's the least amount of like nonsense comes across. Yeah, that's or, totally or what you'd important. see, what you'd see would be scripted nonsense comes across anyway, right? And I mean, the the host is personable, and you know, it's just I mean, other than the one, the family season was a complete wash, but all the, every other season, but that one was was absolutely rewatchable. So, so uh, we were just about. I've got, I think we've got like two or three episodes left, and then we're completely caught up with Below Deck. And uh, <laughs> which is just, <laughs> I make no excuses. It's just silly. You should, though. You should. That might be for your inside voice. Yeah, yeah. You should. You should. You should make an effort to make an excuse. <laughs> silly millennials. Silly millennials working on uh, on mega yachts, uh, going through uh, you know charters with rich people, and it for whatever reason, it's it's got some interesting characters on it, and that's all I really have to say. But we're just about done with it. So, well, does done. anyone die on that show? Uh, no, God, no. Uh, the people bad. people don't even get hurt. Wow. Now I'm definitely now never not watching it. it. No. <laughs> people occasionally get uh, fired for not doing their job. But that's not. That's, do they get thrown fired. overboard after they get fired? No, they just get left at the dock. Unfortunately, oh, they, don't, they don't get thrown over. Fired yeah. from a cannon. Yeah, missed opportunity. They got to walk the you know they got to walk the yard arm. You've got um, the you've got the you've got the nautical motif. I know. Someone overboard. You know, I make know. them walk the plank. Walk the plank exactly. <laughs> do boats even come with planks anymore? I don't know what's make going one. on. You're rich. Make a plank. <laughs> make a plank. <laughs> Let's do this. Make this plank, and then you're gonna walk it. You gotta make your own. You gotta walk your own plank. Uh, I've been continuing on in the office with my uh, my NCIS. Uh, we just started. I just started season nine. Honestly, that I watched one movie this week. Believe it or not, uh, and that was, uh, I guess Eli Roth made a documentary for Shark Week this year, um, and it's all. It's just called Finn. <laughs> Uh, and it's oh. all about the attack on the shark population in the world's fishing population and what the effects of all the illegal shark fishing does and what it could potentially lead to and kind of where we're at with it. And it's not it's not pretty. I mean, it had your, it's it's done in your typical fashion where, you know, celebrity A goes out to fishing boats off the coast of Liberia with a film crew and armed guys and they board ships and 
are shocked at what they find and appalled at, you know, conditions there. And, you know, he goes to Hong Kong to see what like shark fin soup being produced at these places is and like imitation shark fin soup and the whole thing. But it's, you know, the, the documentary itself is actually pretty interesting to watch. I like Eli, uh, you know, the, he comes across legitimately, legitimately interested in, in, yeah. in what he's doing. He does say right up front that it was, you know, that, you know, that year, the whatever he had been approached by the, by discovery channel and offered to do this talk show about sharks. You know, apparently he was uh, doing some show called shark after dark on, on discovery as part of shark, as part of shark week. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I think uh, this movie is actually called fan. <laughs> like French version of it. Yeah, yes. French for over with done. No, it's 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 called Finn because it's about oh. Finns. Oh, okay. I thought it might have had a double meaning. Maybe you'd have to ask Eli. I really don't know. Okay, I won't be doing that. All right, that's fine. And Somebody that... make it stop. And <laughs> make him be fat. Make him be fat. And that's it. I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch the last Fear Street movie like I should have, but uh, you know I've got next week too. So there you go. And uh, I guess we've suffered enough. Uh, all right. <clears throat> so for Darren's uh, companion film to Blood and Black Lace, we have Kill Baby Kill. <laughs> The facts you're looking for can only be found at Billagraps. I'm sure the inspector's here. Get out of my sight or you'll be sorry. It's like running headlong into a wall of silence. They're suspicious, distrustful, and the way they react to my questions. <laughs> Stop! Melissa. Oh, Carl, my dearest. What is it? We've another one. Ah, Carl. Why did you disobey my orders? I'm scared, Inspector. I have a certain feeling that they'll murder us. from 1966 again directed by mario bava with a running time of 83 minutes a coroner visits a small remote village at the behest of his friend the inspector what he finds makes no sense as he discovers a village held in the grip of fear and an old curse he seeks to unearth the secrets of the ghostly little girl haunting them and put her to rest darren why did you pair it up with kill baby kill well, uh, this is obviously also Mario Bava, um, sort of around the same time, maybe a few years later in the 60s. It's when he started to lose financiers uh, and budget. Uh, so this is definitely a lot less expensive than Blood and Black Lace. Um, but I find it uh, interesting. It's not a giallo film. Um, it's a gothic ghost story. Um, Absolutely. So the, there's not really anything that's characteristic of Giallo in this. Um, his other Giallos would be more 
Blood and Black Lace or $5 for an August Moon, both on the cheap films that I enjoy, uh, but are, and are technically fantastic, but uh, script wise, not, not the greatest, but um, have their moments. This is one though, that I think does have a solid story and you can see it play out in a lot of things. There's a scene in the film that is seemingly <laughs> completely aped by David Lynch in the season two climax of <laughs> Twin Peaks. Um, it's pretty much note for note of that scene. Um, there are actually several things in here that have been aped for other movies and a lot I of can stuff. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. At the time it was probably pretty original, although Gothic horror was done by hammer and a lot of other entities. So this was, but this was like the, the girl know. with the bouncing ball, the rubber ball bouncing yes. in. That's like the first time I've ever seen that in a movie. Yep. Yep. It's probably the earliest, although Fulci and other Italian people and also other American people have used that conjuring and things like that. Um, um, yeah. tropes. But this was the first, so good kudos for him. Um, I, I, uh, the reason I recommend this as a guilty pleasure because I don't consider it on the level of Blood and Back Lace, although it's probably in my top five of the 15 Baba films I've seen. Um, the, the reason is, uh, and the reason I wanted to talk about it, is you ever have one of those movies that only plays at night? Like, if you were to watch Kill Baby Kill, terrible title, we'll talk about that later. Mm. If you were to watch Kill Baby Kill at three in the afternoon, and maybe you did, we'll talk about that experience. I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine it works. I can't imagine it. This is like um, one of those things you stumble across as a midnight movie. When it's late at night and you're a little tired, maybe you fall asleep halfway through. And maybe the, it deserves to be falling asleep halfway through. But uh, the idea is, do you ever have one of those films that just seems to only inhabit the night? Um, this is one for me where I feel like I'm 10 years old again, tuned in to Channel <laughs> 19 in some fuzzy place, even though obviously I recommend you see this on a, on a nice copy because it, again, like blood and black lace has interesting colors founded mm -hmm. in nothing. You know, the lighting scheme doesn't seem to be emanating from any sort of natural source. It's just like, why is that wall lighted green? Right. Cause it, cause it looks cool. <laughs> cause it looks great. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's no, nothing to the, to the actual, castle in place that i've got really all these color idea. gels left over from blood and black lace i need to keep <laughs> using so i might as well throw them in this you know he may have been like everything is brown unless i do this so you know that that may be as simple as that i want the scenes to look uh have some depth and be different but um the uh, the idea is i just wanted to talk through maybe you've got your own choice around this thing um when you're a child and you're growing up and you're first experiencing television and late nights and being allowed to stay up past your bedtime by your parents and see adult, whether it's a talk show or whether it's some movie that you weren't quite yet old enough to see, or whether it's the atmosphere of something that's just generally unsettling and you don't know why feels like a dream almost. And you remember it much later. Maybe you see the movie much later and it's lost its mystery, but in your memory, this is how Kill Baby Kill feels to me. Even though I saw it as an adult, I saw it during my, oh, I like that. I should watch more Bava phase. Um, the, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a film from my childhood, but it feels like that. It has that weight to it. Like, 
I'm up late and watching something I maybe shouldn't, and something could happen that I maybe wouldn't be cool with. Um, it's it's not nearly as violent as Blood and Black Lace. There's only right. a couple of deaths, and most are off screen. One one happens to be a little bit in your face, but um, most of it is just ooh, there's something at the window. Ooh, there's some fog. Uh, you know, that kind of thing uh, with a Wuthering Heights kind of family foggy estate kind of feel to it. But I do highly recommend it, but uh, it, it's it's for totally different reasons than most normal movies. I recommend it to watch late at night and it's weird. So that's yeah. pretty much it. I uh, I like this actually better than Blood and Black Laces. I, I, I do have, this has a very hammer feel to it. Uh, not only from just a visual sense, uh, it's almost like a it's almost like a hybrid because, like you said, it has that sort of like those 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 colored lights kind of thrown in for a lighting effect. So he was clearly using that kind of stuff, but in a gothic film setting. It's it's way way more so in Whip in the Body, which is an earlier earlier film then, which is another gothic piece he did, uh, which I which I, I like a little more even than this. It's kind of like a Fifty Shades of Grey for the Victorian set. Right, right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed this a lot more. The one thing I did notice when I was watching it that it was the um, was just how just how, the consistency of how like all the sets looked great. Like every time they walked into a room, I mean, there's obviously a sequence in the story where they use one room over and over again, and that's that's part of the the story they're telling. But um, there is a lot of stuff in this movie that I noticed that this is probably one of the earliest uh, instances of using stuff like this. And it's where all the times that like, this is like, this is a blade, this is a blade runner moment for me for in, in, in Hassan's uh, in Hassan's rhetoric, because this is like, this is where it was first happened. And now it's been used in 40 other horror films that's because they saw it and they realized that, oh, this is a cool thing. I'm going to use this, you know, you know, the real. I mean, from the simple, the simple photographic effect, you know, towards the end with the little girl, you know, with with fading away, you know, and it's I mean, it's a it's a soup when you when you think when you know how that effect is accomplished, you just think. Seriously, that was all there was. Wow. OK, Um and it's it's fun. It's it's got a lot of fun stuff like that. I mean, obviously everything's practical. I mean, there's no you know, there's not there the 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 biggest visual effects in the film in this particular film there probably aren't there may be a matte painting or two, but probably even not that because apparently two weeks into filming this movie, the producer the production company went broke, and basically everyone working on this film agreed to finish the film for no pay and they were just like well are we going to do are we going to make the movie or we're not going to make the movie and everyone was just like no 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 let's let's go ahead and finish the movie so they did for a penny and for a pound man we're in italy we'll just do it (laughs) exactly exactly and you know and i'm and i'm glad i for one i'm glad they did i like this movie a lot um you know like i said i i tend to skew a little bit more gothic than uh the the giallo stuff that's set you know, in more modern time. And I think that's kind of one of the dividing lines for me, especially with a lot of the Italian directors is like, if they, if they, if they go and make a period piece, I don't feel like you said, I don't necessarily feel like it's, it's a Giallo film, even if it borrows some of those feels and looks, the visual things that they do with the, with the, with the colors, you know, uh, you know, bright color blocks and a lot of the colored lighting, but 
Um, you know, and I love the, you know, I love the, and again, this might be the first time that they did this. I don't know. Uh, this is 66, but it's like having the dark haired, darkly clothed woman who was the local witch for lack of a better term yeah. being the good character and the little girl dressed in white being the evil character. You know, it's a little, little inversion of the whole good and evil black and white thing. Um, and, you know, I'm, they basically just he he didn't have any money for music because there was no money to, to make the production. So they uh, they ended up going back to and using a bunch of films from previous Bava films. So there's a bunch of musical cues in this movie that are stolen or not stolen, borrowed. I should get his prize a better sense from like <laughs> Bava's previous films. And they just kind of cobbled them together and, you know, were able to, to piece together a soundtrack for this. Um and the uh, and the little girl was actually played by a boy. So, oh wow, yeah, uh, yeah. It was a, the, a friend of the crew uh, had a I, somebody in the crew had a son, and uh, they could never find the, the exact right creepy eight year old girl. Right, and they're they're like, put a wig on that guy. So, put a wig on that kid. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It works. It really does. Um, Lay, what do you think of uh, Kill Baby Kill? Well, this is kind of a reverse of of the other movie. You know, th this film starts that, again, like Darren pointed out. The title is terrible. It's just terrible. <laughs> okay, or the American, in, in, the American, in, yeah, American in Italy title. it was Operation Fear, which is not necessarily even a better title. <laughs> no, no that's too. that's actually worse. That's actually worse. <laughs> so you're all for two on your title. The opening credit sequence is so monotonous. Oh my god! <laughs> that same shot, it's like, oh, here we well, go. Well, just to let you know, that was a substitute. The Italian one had a totally different credit sequence that the American cut oh. sided they didn't like. So all they do is hold on the impalement, and that's a that's a bold yet terrible choice. Because <laughs> yeah, it's not even a good shot of the impalement. Um, so. You know, I'm like, all right, I'm probably out already. But then the movie starts, and um, again, it, you know, every technical point of this film, I mean, the way the camera moves and how smooth it is, everything lit immaculately. You know, the story isn't the most tightest or greatest, but the lead actor, I mean, he's really just visually charismatic. Yeah. And, you know, you buy him as a coroner doctor immediately. Okay. Just when he walks in, it's like, here he is. Okay. You know, it's, he can, whatever they call him, you're going to believe him is that, okay. As that, as that character. Um, you know, the story goes on and it's, it's actually pretty intriguing. And I'm like, you know, I had read a little bit about it before and I, I didn't think it didn't look like they were that short on money. Um, everything looked like I, those, those were sets. Right. I know the exteriors were obviously shot somewhere, an actual castle or whatever. I'm assuming um, it, it looked, it looked great. And the movie just inexplicably in the last like 20 minutes, it just starts to peter out and it just loses its, hmm. its way. And when they're running through after the door slams and they're trying to figure out where to go and 
you still got these artistic shots and oh also the shot at the beginning uh with the tree in the foreground and they're carrying the casket way in the background that oh, that's, yeah. fan, that's fantastic that's a great shot um and there's a multitude of those throughout you know throughout the movie i just and the you know the kid is really creepy and all the way all the different shots the super zooms uh suddenly she's there that's all great i just it just lost me in the last 20 minutes and i you know i maybe i had the expectation that i was going to hate it again or hate this movie again and then i really kind of liked it (laughs) but it just didn't fulfill it going all the way through i just didn't i really didn't like the last 15 minutes of this film um the uh all the you know the actresses are great there's no bad acting in the film um i don't know i guess i just have a low bar for for i wouldn't call it it's not really a haunted house film but it is a, a movie about someone who's haunting a village and it's i just am not expecting it to wow me unless you really get me with the story and nothing happens at the end that really uh, that I really took to and and ended up liking it. So I probably like this less than Blood and Black Lace. Um, Fair. And I would probably not watch it again. Yeah, I don't know if this helps, but I often forget the ending, and that's because if I watch it late at night, I fall asleep. And so <laughs> I've seen I've seen the first forty five minutes twice as much as I've seen the last forty five. It hold it holds you. It's like yeah. it, it's basic, but the way he shoots, you know, these, you know, the actors and these creative shots. I mean, that it's, it's fun to watch. It was, you know, it kept my attention. It just, man, it just petered out like really off a cliff. So. Yeah. I mean, I really think the climax of the film might be that scene where he's running through the castle. Oh, over I, and that's over. a great point there. And I forgot that, about that. That was awesome. That was, that really, feels really like, great holy shit, this is the end of the movie. And then there actually is more. Yeah, so, if that should have been that creative idea of him chasing himself and, and, and then pulling catching, it off and with editing himself. shots. Was fa- that was fantastic. I yeah. really liked that a lot. But then everything after that, yeah, you're right. Just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you literally would have been better ending the movie with him running and then just put the end. So you're just like <laughs> thinking about what the fuck. Okay. Like he turned, he catches the guy, the guy turns around, it's himself, and then it just gets the end. Yeah. That's it. And then (laughs) instead of the downward action, that's just monotonous. So I, you know, the way he pulled off that shot, those shots were really cool. I like it. It's a a very simple story. I mean, um, a person kills themselves and they call a coroner or a doctor to come and do an autopsy. I often wondered why do you need an autopsy for someone who's clearly just killed themselves, but whatever. So (laughs) the guy comes and he realizes there's an investigator because there's actually several people that have died. And then there's a a burgermeister or mayor of the town who's being coy. So you've got archetypes. You've got a, a, a woman who's was born in the town, but studied medicine elsewhere. And she's back to the town for the first time, helps the doctor. And they basically determine there's a curse on the town and the, the uh the the 
the reason for the curse can only be found at this villa if they go to it and and the villa is weird and labyrinthian and and has a ghost baby but so <laughs> there's really nothing to the story um it is all about the feels you know there's there's you know and so the fact that they tie up the story in the last 15 that you you know rightfully condone uh it feels irrelevant uh, you know you've already right. you've already got a dose you know a, an ejection a main line of atmosphere it's starting to wear off about an hour and 10 in <laughs> you know <laughs> they don't hit you with another dose you're like okay well i'm just gonna yeah. like ride out the last 20 so it's less yeah. stylized too compared to the rest of the movie it's just not there the shots aren't there the the one shot where they go by the gravestones and stuff that was cool um, or the crypt or whatever that is. But um, yeah, it just wasn't, you know, it's not, a, you know, it's not a very graphic movie either. So no. uh, mm-hmm. violence wise. And that's, I kind of like that about it, that it was, you know, it was, it was more just that, like you said, the, the feeling of it, the atmosphere, the, the Gothic tale being told. So um, yeah, that's the, uh, that's what I think about uh, die baby or uh, kill baby kill. <laughs> die baby <laughs> man the, any anything anything would be better than operation fear kill baby kill that was a huge mistake <laughs> you, know, you, you bitchy ghost would have been a better title for this movie i mean totally just, girl and, and, in white anything would have been better um because uh, that yeah. i cannot think of a lazier more stupid title that has nothing to do kill baby kill might be a good title for like a Russ Meyer movie. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> terrible for this. Terrible for this. I mean, um, on, in every market. Yeah. This corner is a pain in the fucking ass. You know, just just any anything but but kill baby kill, which makes no yeah, sense. That was clearly some investor committee arm wrestling match. Marketing with, something. Fucking just fine. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Result of a focus group. Yeah, uh, exactly. Hassan, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? <laughs> it's a it's a ghost story. It's a ghost horror movie. Kill, baby, kill. And I don't like it. Here's here's why I don't like horror movies. Here's where I don't like horror movies. Fucking move. <laughs> yes, there's, there's, a, there's a goddamn there's a homicidal ghost that's haunting the town, and nobody knows who's going to be next. Fucking leave. <laughs> Why don't you leave? You're living in... Listen, listen. Citizens of Pompeii. The fucking volcano (laughs) went off already. It's not a mystery. It will go off again. Leave. (laughs) And then at the end, the woman comes in. She's like, you know what? I've let this go on all long enough. Strangle. Over. You let all those fucking people die. Okay. And you let this, this noodle head run around the castle for like fucking 20 Noodle minutes head. looking for this looking for his uh looking for the, the his squeeze the uh the witness to the the autopsy who happens to be the daughter of okay sure look pretty movie small town Hassan population fuck small boy. towns <laughs> pretty movie very stylized I, I like um I like a technicolor uh cobweb I really like those. I really, yeah. I, I, I think it's pretty trippy. Um, I think that's half I, the budget is the. Yeah. Ones. I think it's a. I think it's a. You know, like I said, it's just a, just as much as um, 
Blood and Black Lace. It's 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 set up really well. It's got some really uh, uh, stylized visuals. And what I haven't mentioned and nobody has mentioned in the last in, in both movies is the lighting is amazing. You know, the light artistry is amazing yeah, in, the, in the movie. Yeah, we were all talking about know. that. No, I am only one who said that. And okay. so Fair enough. <laughs> it was only me. <laughs> I should right, emphasize enough. it, though. It, it, <laughs> is, it is brilliant. Uh, you know, uh, if if you like Suspiria, which is probably the most popular Technicolor well-lit movie, this is where it comes from. This is who he's ripping off. Um, you know, this is that that vibe. It's yeah. yeah, and I mean, look, I get it as a genre, but it's like, what is this? Like, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's my issue with horror movies in general. Like a lot of them, like, are not based on credible logic in in the first place. Well, that's the and, key to horror films. Yeah, that the well, fact they're based on flawed logic. <laughs> Well, or dream, go. dream well, logic, yeah, and then dream and dream. that's that that's not going to appeal to everybody. That's Absolutely, all, you know. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's like, well, why don't you just do this? And why don't you just not go? You know, why you why are you spelunking in that hole? I don't understand. Like, if there's no reason to do that, you know, you know, there's a shark, right? Five of your friends are dead. Get out of the water, you know, like little <laughs> things like that. I and I get it. I get it. You know, I, I do get it. And I do know, I do acknowledge that people do stupid things. So, like, not everybody acts logically. So, I can see a scenario where each and every one of these things happens. It's fine. It's fine. It's it's uh, it's my issue with the genre. It's just like, if I were to take these these four movies, you know, um, if, I would, if I were to take Blood and Black Lace and uh, Kill Baby Kill... <laughs> Terrible. Which always makes me think of Burn Baby Burn, but it's like, right. Um, <laughs> and Kill Baby Kill and Solange and Shivers. Okay. It's like it, the problem is I can't because I I'm not a a, a connoisseur of the the genre in itself. I cannot. I can only you know I can only consolidate them all as in one lump of like you know just you know, vile cruelty, you know, in, in its, in its own thing. I can acknowledge some of these, some of them are, uh, some of them are less violent. Some of them are less gratuitous. Um, but since I'm not a, I guess you could call me, you could say, I'm just not a fan of the genre. I'm like, well, all right, sure. but this is, this is, uh, you're, you guys are hanging out in this village just to get killed. Right. That's the point, right. Is we need, we need bodies. There's, you want butts in the seats, right. I got you. I got you. And so, like, for me, sometimes, sometimes that kind of stuff, you know, just doesn't work. It's a very pretty movie. And I, and that sequence at the end is, is masterful. You know, I don't know if that's ever the first time ever anyone's ever done that, that kind of camera trickery. Um, in, in, when I was a young man, they used to call that trick photography. Now they, yeah. now they, they refer to it as so many different things now, but I mean, like, just, just and then yeah, when he catches himself, that that is that legitimately freaked me out, you know. And I did think, okay, now you're down the rabbit hole, dude. You're not, you know, you're not coming out of this place. <laughs> but then they do a ex machina at the ending, you know, with the woman just came in like, I'm just gonna put an end to this. And we're gonna roll credits. We're out of money. Roll credits, right? <laughs> so, you know, um, I enjoyed watching it. I did not know the the the, the girl was a boy, and the, and the. It was creepy. I didn't. I missed the point, though. I missed. What's the trigger? 
for, you know, you getting a visit from you know, Melissa. You know, like a little, off, uh, a little little vague. So Melissa was trampled um, mm-hmm. by the horse. By right. the and horse, the, and, the, yeah. And in the parade, nobody helped her, and she died. And then the mother, Jason Voorhees. Yes, Ooh. this is total yeah. Jason Voorhees. You're you're absolutely right. Um, but I think when you talk smack, she comes for you. Um, <laughs> in any it. way, which seems like a very weird, like thin. It's pretty petty, thing. you know. Yeah. yeah. Even even uh, word ghost. Yeah. Even what's her name? Waited for you to watch the videotape before she came for you. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, Bloody Mary turn. or Candyman. It's, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, Sure, like, yeah. Come on, just, do something. All you got to do is just like, yeah, ghost ain't nothing, you know. I, and then I, it's I dare you to summon me. I dare <laughs> you to summon me. Go ahead, I dare you. Actually, you know, one thing that bugs the crap out of me about Kill Baby, Baby Kill is um, the teenage girl who works at the inn talks right. smack, and she's like, "I'm screwed now. She'll come after me," and she does. Then the parents leave her alone all night. Yeah. I'm like, I would, if my daughter had a known curse on her, I would stay in the fucking room. Yeah. It's the greatest, the greatest scene ever is he goes into the daughter, the daughter's wrapped up in fucking barbed wire or whatever. And what, you know, yeah. so that, you know, to, to keep her safe. Right. And no, the, no, no, the mother's that like, a, that was a medical treatment. That bloodletting? Supposedly. Yes. Yeah. yeah something. Yeah. But I mean, that's the, it was to help her. It was to, yeah. it was to, so the, <laughs> The mother comes in, stay away from my daughter. I know how to treat it. And the guy just pushes her aside. He doesn't even say anything to her. He's, He's just like, like, no, like, look, lady. <laughs> talk to like, me. Trust Damn, me, I got a license. With barbed wire. I got a license. <laughs> yeah. The minute I see you're covered in barbed wire, I, I know your medical uh, expertise is, is lacking. So just please stand aside. Um, <laughs> and next time yeah. she talks to him, too, she's like, Oh yes, doctor. Okay, like it yeah, suddenly right. he just changed her mind immediately. Like <laughs> maybe the barbed wire wasn't a good choice. You're right, and then, doctor. And then they blame him for her death. Yeah. It's like you're the one who talks shit. It's not me. If you know the rules of the town, and I'm coming to town, and you talk and you break the rules and get killed by the resident monster, that's not my fault. That's 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 you're supposed yeah. to tell me the rules. You're not supposed to break the rules yourself. That's not, don't blame me. So it's, uh, you know, look, it was a great experience. I enjoyed it. it but oh, it was yeah, funny. You, loved it. you know, I have to tell you, there's a difference in, in horror movies, in my mind anyway. This is not a, a written theory or anything, but there's a difference between a dumb choice. And there are a few of these in Kill Baby Kill and Blood and Black Lace. There's the, there's the stupid choice and a dream logic choice. So in Inferno by Dario Argento from 1980-ish, a woman drops her necklace down a hole that's in the floor. So she takes off her shoes and her dress and she goes swimming in the hole to find the necklace. That's a dream logic choice. That's something in a dream where you do something that you can't explain. It's just weird. And and it has like, uh, I don't know, it's got, it's got something that, that, pings the soul it's not yes of course as a viewer of modern movies you can look at that and go don't go in the hole that's fucking stupid but at the same time you're like 
you're like, this is not a choice being made in a rational world in, in, our, in our linear plane. This is a choice being made in a dream plane. And I feel mm. like with Kill Baby Kill, certainly not with Blood and Black Lace, that is not a dream movie in any way. But in Blood and Black Lace, I'm sorry, in Kill Baby Kill, there are choices being made by characters that would be the choices you'd make in a dream. And, and so therefore I forgive what might be a dumb choice like leaving your daughter alone when you know that a killer baby ghost is after her you know that kind of stuff okay that's <laughs> fine that's a theory of mine. fair enough <laughs> confirm or deny us you know i think i i have i have a theory also my theory is that dream logic is something that people who are fans of the genre come up with to explain <laughs> stupidity touche but, but <laughs> If I wrote a script and handed it to you and then you were like, yeah, well, you know what? Your script, act one, bleeds into act three, but then doesn't have an act two. I'd be like, dream logic, Darren. And then you'd be like, you can, you can leave. <laughs> you may leave now. So Thanks I mean, stopping by. Yeah, exactly. You know what? Go home and dream that I hired you for this fucking film, you know? <laughs> so it, it is, I mean, I get it and it's fine. And I've made excuses for, for my favorite genres and there's no look and even the word excuse is a, is is pompous because it's it's a movie it, it's art it works if, if it works for the people who it works for right that's fine but i don't know why you don't move away from a town where there's a ghost who can just decide to kill you because you crack wise one night you know it, that it just, all goes back to the old eddie murphy joke you know yeah, too bad we like, can't stay we're, yeah, we're we're in the, we're in the Amityville Horror House. He's like, I don't understand why they why those people were there. He goes, here, you know, those people go into the house like this is the house is beautiful. I just I'm really happy here. This is beautiful. Get out, get out. Too bad we can't stay, baby. Like <laughs> <laughs> the first people, the first thing yeah. that happens, you're like, see ya. <laughs> it's like my friend, my friend Charles's logic. This is this is this is kind of outside, right, of the. Uh, you know, there's a long way around to explain this, but you know, watching like Chris, Chris, what's his name's uh, To Catch a Predator, right? And I'm talking to him, and I'm like, "You miss one of my favorite shows. I love that." He's like, "You know what I didn't like about the first episode of that show?" And I said, "What?" He goes, "That there's a second episode." All right, there's here's the thing: once you know the deal, no one else should be caught by that trap because <laughs> everybody knows that there's a trap, right? But that's, own, maybe those guys don't own TVs. They own. They don't own televisions. Okay, that's the dream logic again. That I get it. I get it. But it's fun. Oh, let me go back <laughs> to my original thought, though. Here, um, the reason I recommend this as a guilty pleasure and and acknowledge its flaws while still enjoying it um, <laughs> is uh, it is a late night weird fest. Do you guys have movies that you can think of off the top of your head that are, I'm going to put this on late at night because it gives me a weird feeling, movies? Um, I do. I will be judged for which movie that is, so I won't mention it, but yeah, I do. Oh, no, you have to. <laughs> oh, wow, that's great for the podcast. It's not awesome. <laughs> hey, man, I'm not here to be judged, man. Well, <laughs> I'm no not here to be judged, you. Latham. They're saying, what an idiot. Say the name of the damn movie. How about that? <laughs> There is something right, there, there is something inherently creepy f- to me about uh, the Mothman prophecies. Oh, Don't know why. Wall. That's cool. 
yeah, something just like wow this movie is just out there and we're just like you know the fact that he's driving and then you know he pulls over and he's looking at the map trying to figure out where he is and the guy's like no you're not here you're all the way down there and somehow you know whatever force has brought him all the way to ohio you know from from jersey or wherever the heck he was when he started um you know stuff like that you know and his dead wife is calling him you know little things like that. Good, it's like come on choice, dude yeah yeah I think yeah. there are portions of uh, Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness that uh, I take that way. I think that that is one of his most underrated features. Uh, I love that it's a Lovecraftian story, um, but there are certain things in that movie that are still, even though I, I've seen that movie probably, probably at least 10 times. And I still there are certain parts of that movie that I still find super effective and super creepy, like the sequence when they're driving on the road and there's the kid on the bicycle and then, you know, they goes by him and then then, second second he comes up and passes him again. And it's it's a little kid, but in old man makeup. And you're just like, wait, what? And then you just then it's like gone already. And you're just like, what what the fuck is going on? And then the next thing you know, it's like she swerves and it's and it's morning. And they're there. And it's like, what? What? It's like, it's a total, like, it totally throws you off balance. And it's, that's a good good one because it, it hopscotches around and you, you wonder about that reliable narrator a little bit. Like, uh, and I love that scene where he says, uh, I love the color blue and everything turns blue. Yeah. What's your favorite color? Mine's blue. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, fucking Jurgen Prock now <laughs> you boat guy yeah how about you also on everybody's favorite it seems like everybody's kind of go-to um is uh the third what exorcist three everybody yeah. kind of oh my God. everyone I've ever talked to has a has a just almost has a f- almost flinches when you mention that movie it, and it's a very easily well, forgotten film Right. But everybody, whenever you mention it, they, you know, it's like, oh, that movie, you know, highly, highly underrated. Really, really, um, God, that movie, I, I watched it and I'm like, is this like a real movie? Because it, there seems to be no care given to, to it. Yet at the same time, it does work some sort of spell. It feels like George C. Scott is phoning it in, but at the same time, it's like a great performance. It's really, yeah. it's really yeah, hard. A lot of it just doesn't it's make It's a really sense. hard movie to nail down, especially, and not until you watch it two or three times. I'll be honest. I didn't really appreciate how good of a movie that was until I saw it three or four times. And I, there's just, there, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, first of all, it holds the single scariest shot ever in a movie. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, but there's, I mean, beyond that shot alone, there's a number of other really great stuff. Like, I mean, the scene with the old woman on the ceiling. I'm like, when they're standing in the kitchen talking and all of a sudden you see her creeping along the ceiling over there. And yeah. you're like, what the fuck is that? I showed that to Scott Klein and he was like, it, um, he was kind of, he was, you know, he was all right about it. He was like, nah, and then the, the old lady scene happened. He's like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> like, you know, like it's just his brain shut right. off. And it's like, and it's, it's, it's absurd, but it's done in a manner that just makes it terrifying because of how absurd it is, you know? And it's, 
And that little lady doesn't show up anywhere else. <laughs> he's he's yeah. just messing with him. You know, she's yeah. he's just v- floating v- around. Just vivical in force. I like those like, um, let's call them jagged edges. And I, I try to put this in my scripts and, and books and stuff. Like, you're like, oh, I don't know if this quite fits, but but I like it. So uh, 12 Monkeys is a great example of that. If you've seen the film 12 Monkeys, there's lots yeah. of little channels that goes down. It's, it's like, actually the it's actually the follow up film to the one we just did, Children of Men. So it'll it's actually oh. going to I'm actually posting it tomorrow. Great. Well, I mean, I'm going to definitely listen to that. 12 <laughs> Monkeys is one of my probably top 25 films. I don't know if it cracks the top 10, but I do. I do love it. And one of the reasons I love that script is it goes down weird paths, like the guy with the the dentist thing, the guy they put in the shower at one point. I'm like, this is not, this is not necessary. It's not part of the core, but I I'm cool with it. You know, if you stay with the theme, if you if you surprise me, I'm all good. And and Twelve Monkeys has many moments like that, which I like. I don't know if Kobe be, Kill Baby Kill does, but let's hear Latham's late night. Choices, you know, uh, I'm, I'm curious what like hums for you as you drift off to sleep on Latham Conger's couch. <laughs> uh, the only thing I can think of that I'm thinking of is something that's more like bothersome. Like it's always bothered me, but if it ever comes, it, it, this was more when I was younger. So this is probably something you could find maybe easily now or not easily, but there was a TV movie called Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with... Yeah. Uh, yeah, a long and, time ago. Yeah, right. the guy from... The late uh, 70s, right? Let's see, what's his face? Yeah, uh, Dustin Hoffman? Durning, Durning, Charles Durning. Oh. <laughs> and it just, it would, like, it was one of those movies I didn't want to watch when it came on because there was a part that really bothered me, but I would watch it and then just be like i don't know transfixed by this horrible moment when they kill him when he's when he's hiding on the scarecrow and they kill him that that just always really bothered me and, and this went is a, through me a through tv movie too so it's a tv movie yeah so you... and it was like more than a tv movie should have been yes um for sure. I, I don't even know if that's fully what you what you're looking for if you want something that's more like a uh where it just late at night i'll put it on and it like i don't know something about it bothers me but i always want to watch it of all movies it's uh starship troopers oh wow uh and that there's just parts of that movie that are really like visceral and bothersome to me but i like want to see it and then when i watch it i remember like oh you don't really like watching this why are you watching it? And but it's like I'll always turn it on, and it'll always be late at night. I'll never watch that in the day. You know what's great is that uh, with Starship Troopers, that the great thing about that movie, a, it's Verhoeven, so you know that there's not going to be at any point in the movie where he's, you know, as a filmmaker, where he's going to be like, well, maybe we shouldn't show that much. You know, that's oh, just yeah. that's yeah. just yeah. not his wheelhouse. But yeah. it's so great because that's the kind of movie I'd love to see Verhoeven, Verhoeven do different the different genres of films because I feel like him doing that movie and that movie especially is because you've seen the you know that story you know the story of the of the space army going up against an alien race on a planet somewhere blah 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 and you you get the idea but you don't ever get 
the visual, the the strong, like it, like it. You don't ever get the 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 Braveheart battle scene, you know, the battlefield look at 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 a movie like that. It's and it, there's just there's just usually never either a budget or they don't bother to show like people getting like a giant fucking nose hook through the thigh, yeah, you know, yeah. and then it pulls out and there's just a fucking hole through the guy's leg and you're like. Yep dude and the camera never shifts so you're just like what the fuck yeah it's very just yeah to the yeah point. when then one of those guys gets ripped in half and his and his and half yeah. his body gets thrown at his friend you know <laughs> and you're like well that was all right <laughs> you guys think uh you guys think blood and black lace is too violent it's definitely more <laughs> yeah, stylized than starship troopers starship troopers is just direct like this yeah. guy got his head chopped off by a pincer, and that's it. He's done. Goodbye. <laughs> Snapped. You know, as as I said before, there's no, uh, you know, there's no justification for um for judging the genre by any stretch of the imagination. I can. The only thing I can say is like what I don't like about it. Was like whereas I can watch a war movie. I know the I know the war movie is supposed to be graphically terrible because of the message of what you know fighting a war is and you know starship troopers is allegory and you know a lot of satire but um it's also like hey, no more yeah it's also like hey you know we're gonna we're gonna trick these kids into signing up and and then we're gonna put them in a meat grinder you know that's <laughs> that's the that's kind of the secret message of it you know that all this this propaganda and this rhetoric is is bs and in order to get that point across it's probably necessary to show you know these the you know most of them get slaughtered uh, pretty heinously, um, yeah. and it, you know, bonus part, it's a science fiction movie, so they could get killed by giant bugs, and you, and you could forget you're watching satire because you're watching, you know, a a, a big bug fight, you and know, you're with, not uh, watching met p- humans do this to other humans, right? You're fighting so an easier. alien race, so and you, you can, can slaughter hate those them. bugs, yeah, yeah without any, them and feel nothing, right? Right. Now, when I here's here's my personal view on it, and it's not a hot take on a. On the genre, I don't, I can't understand sometimes what the horror genre is for, other than for the gratuity. And I acknowledge, you know, that that I'm I'm not interpreting it correctly. But I'm just saying what it does to me is, or what it does for me is, you know, it's I, the only thing I can. The only rational I can give you is that I don't like what it does. It doesn't do anything for me. I don't mm-hmm. like what it does while I'm watching it. So that's what I can say. I'm, I'm, I'm smart enough and I've tangled with Latham long enough to be, to be smart enough not to argue against the art of it. Of, um, of, Star and Trek, and the, of horror not, films. No, of horror films. And whether or not they, it, they have a worth and that they belong here or not. I would never say that. But I just, you know, me personally, when right. I talk about like, and the only reason I bring this up is because Darren said, well, you think uh, you, you, you think Kill Baby Kill is bad when you're talking about the, the gore of Starship Troopers. Right. So right. that's the only reason I'm, you know, we get not, I'm not trying to go down a rabbit hole. That's the only reason I brought that yeah. up in, in, in and of and itself. So have you seen either version of Martyrs? No. Okay. Oh, boy. Well, let me, let me just say on, on, on behalf of horror that I know many people that won't won't watch it, don't enjoy it. Correct. And I Same have here. no judgment about that. I I, I feel judged though. I, I do feel judged. 
<laughs> there is a lot. Uh, there's a lot of things in the horror stew that I I won't eat. I'm not. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things that I avoid, or a lot of things I take a long time to come around to. I didn't watch Cannibal Holocaust for 20 years because I knew it would disturb me. Um, I don't like to be disturbed. I don't like to feel bad. The the things um, that I want to see, I want to be entertaining. In the same way, Jaws is entertaining. Jaws is a horror film. Jaws is entertaining. Um, sure. I, I feel like, uh, horror though, pound for pound, since I've delved deep, um, as a genre, not necessarily giallo, but just horror writ large. Um, it's cathartic for some reason. I find it not that I want to harm anybody, not that I, I find, um, yeah. uh, but in terms of social commentary, human interaction. I get more from a George Romero movie than I do from the news about how humans might interact with each other and i find that's probably the same i get more from a george romero movie than perhaps i get from a, a comedy that's trying to commit commit to the same themes depends on how well it's done depends on the artistry of it i could change my mind but um but i found that i i don't know i stepped into the it's almost like i entered a weird room i was all nervous to do it but once i was in there i looked around <laughs> And I'm like, I'll take this. I'll leave that. And, uh, it was, uh, it, it was okay. And I, and I, I felt okay, but I can understand why people won't even walk in the door or when they walk in the door, they walk right back out. I get it because there's a lot of things in there, depending on your first impression. I got to say the things that we've talked about here in this podcast, I applaud you guys for your courage to do it because shivers, what have you done to Solange? Uh, what else have we talked about here? Um, Pontypool. Pontypool. Uh, crazies. These two movies of Kill Baby Kill and Blood and Black Lace. These are corner things, man. These are really far out titles. We're not talking about Halloween to the thing here. We, yeah. we, are, we are in the nether regions of horror, mostly because you guys are educated and you've seen a million movies and this might surprise and you. you or, and you like messing with us also. And I, I do like <laughs> fucking with people, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah, you can just read the Chicago Tribune about my ability to mess with people's minds. But um, uh, I would say, yeah, man, I the courage of it, I so applaud because you know Gene Siskel and Robert, Roger Ebert, might sit down for kill baby kill would have serious objection to blood and black lace or, or something they, right. and, and you guys are like, let's experience it all. We'll filter it through what our experiences and what our, our, our tastes are. And, uh, and then let the listener decide if that's something they want to explore themselves, which is all what it's all about anyway. So it's cool. It's funny too, because I came into horror from a completely different angle. I came in because I came into horror films because of star Wars. Star Wars is what got me moving down the road of learning about makeup and special effects. That was my, that was my gate. That was my, my, my gateway drug to getting into a, a love of film, but also uh, by way of, you know, look, look what we can yeah, do. I mean, I, I was a, a subscriber to Starlog from issue, I think seven on. And, you know, and from there, you know, after a couple of years of Starlog and I discovered that there was this other magazine called Fangoria that was all about just movie makeup effects and horror films. I was like, oh, my God, you know, and Same I company, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. At the time. And I, I immediately jumped into that and I was just like, holy crap. And that's how I got into horror films was basically 
via the path that it's all fake. So I have never had, you know, these guys know I've had, I've had one night of sleep lost because of a horror film. And that's, that's one movie, one night. I've never, movies don't really, they don't. Yeah, the movie. The Howling. The Howling, really? Yeah. Yeah. For, mm. for whatever reason, that, that was 1980, right? Uh, yes, yeah, like so I was, I was 12. I saw a, an adult took me to see it in a theater and I got Always home. a mistake. <laughs> I got home. And for whatever reason, I, I, I knew all about the movie going in. And my mom knew I knew all about the movie going, in, which was why she was OK with me going to see it. But there was just something about that Picardo uh, transformation sequence, which is just still a absolute wonder to behold. It's hardcore um, too. As it's much as the as much as the Rick Baker uh, 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 sequence in American Werewolf. I mean, they're both they're both standout transformation sequences, and there was just something about uh, the horror makeup effects that just spoke to me, and I just from then on I just absolutely loved horror films. I just loved the idea of them. Uh, I don't necessarily. You know, and maybe it does. Maybe it's a subconscious effect it has on me. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I just, I just enjoy watching them. You know, for the enter, for the sheer entertainment value of them. I mean, I understand that a lot of Romero stuff does is trying to say something. I understand that there are a number of horror film directors who are trying to say something with their art, and that's that's awesome. I don't feel like I feel like me as a radio. I don't have the antenna right. Like I don't have the antenna to pick up the underlying stuff. I just enjoy horror films for what they are. Well, I, I said this before in uh, other interviews, but I get no thrill out of seeing somebody murdered, but I get a thrill out of a great zoom lens to somebody being murdered. So <laughs> <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like that's a film thing. I know it's fake. Um, and that, but I also know that um, something about a film like Kill Baby Kill, flaws included. I don't know. I I have I have a memory of something. Maybe I, in a past life I was at a castle and I liked fog. Who knows? But the point <laughs> is, there's something about that that brings about a sense memory. And uh, the same way old episodes of star trek does if i watch them late at night or let's scare jessica to death does or blade runner does when i watch them late at night there's something about about that between state that certain films can represent and in order to represent it maybe they violate real world logic and i'm i'm okay with that but not dream logic they didn't violate that <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it's hard to violate that. I guess. I guess I'd have to think on <laughs> no an example. God, no goddamn rules. To violate hard that. to violate. <laughs> That'd be tough. I would. I would have to think on that. I'm sure there is something that is a dream play or a dream film, dream novel that where I'm like, like this is too goddamn real. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Got to be something. That's just anyway. silly. You know, what's what's weird is that um, there are movies. There are obvious horror movies that i have watched and enjoyed you've mentioned jaws you know it definitely um the thing is an absolute horror movie you know without any stretch you know by any stretch of the imagination i i i'm a big fan of american werewolf in london and the howling 
more so American Werewolf in London because the Howling is. Howling's okay. Creepy. There's more it's comedy a in American film. Werewolf. There's more release. Yeah, there's, there's a little. Yeah, there's more release valves in American Werewolf. <laughs> but I think I think I think the difference is that Jaws definitely, absolutely with the thing, American Werewolf in London. They're all about either a character or characters, and the horror aspect of it is just just this this um you know this brutal element that's been brought into their lives you know and their and their everyday structure of their lives whereas some movies like say like uh, kill baby kill or uh, blood and black lace is more about the murder you know it's more about the set, like as you say the set piece of the murder and so sometimes they do very little in the script to justify the murder and so that's, I think, why I just kind of am lukewarm to, to it, you know, when every now and then, like I said, like the, the Mothman prophecies or something like that, when it's about a character going through something and they use the technology, or as Steve said, they use, uh, they use uh, you know, uh, advanced makeup artistry from, you know, from the 80s or whatever to depict a person who has been attacked by a werewolf and you know, it's being worn through the, throughout the entire film that you're going to do something really heinous, man, and you got you to gotta kill yourself. And then one night he just discovers why, you know, he discovers the hard way why he should have listened to everybody. That's kind of an easier pill to swallow for someone who watching something horrific. It's like, okay, this is all cost of, you know, the, a character's either, you know, exploits a character's heroism or a character's cowardice or a character's, you know... F- the frailties as opposed to some movies where someone is just gets out of a cab and has a walk has to take a hike through the you know <laughs> through the dark forest in order to get to her you know her her uh, her, her uh, what is it the model agency agency yeah. i'm like who puts a model agency in the moors you know like what's <laughs> that's like the street so like for me Sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, so I'm I'm just watching this just to see her get killed, right? <laughs> and so that sometimes, you know, well said. It, yeah, you're, it, you're absolutely right. It's time. Yeah, yeah. That char- character can make uh, not only it, it feel more cruel, and therefore I'm okay when they omit it, but it also can make it feel more valid. Um, and you're you're not wrong. That's very wise. <laughs> So I, I I think that's uh, yes. I think kill I'm done baby, for the night. Kill, <laughs> <laughs> I think kill baby kill has been killed. <laughs> well, thank you guys for indulging some more Italian stuff. I of course, that. I want always. If you have me back, which you at this point you may never. Um, oh, if you have me no back, way. I won't the first and second time. I know I won't. <laughs> I, I promise I won't foist any more Italian shit on you. I promise. <laughs> Uh, now we're going for French, right? <laughs> now we're now gonna... it's all French genre <laughs> films. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and yeah, starring that fantastic, fantastic French actor Jean Claude Van Damme. Do <laughs> <laughs> a Bloodsport time cop double feature. Um, I'll do it. Dino De Laurentiis. <laughs> Dino De Laurentiis originally approached Baba to handle the special effects for King Kong in '76. And Baba didn't want to leave Italy, so he turned him down. But he recommended Carlo Rambaldi. Wow, that's how Rambaldi got the gig. That's amazing. Wow, how about that? That's still a that's still a powerful movie. And then Rambaldi, <laughs> Rambaldi would eventually build ET. So there's a oh, wow. there's a lot wrong with that movie, but it's still a very powerful movie. <laughs> 
I don't mind the 76 King Kong. Got a beautiful, uh, got a beautiful young Jessica Lang in it. That's for sure. Some bad composites. That's my main beef with it. Uh, yeah. But story wise, I'm fine with it. That's the biggest problem with with films. That's the hardest. That's the hardest Kong murder to watch for me. You know, with all the I versions. Agree. I agree. That's with the you. hardest one to watch. You know, when he gets when he gets destroyed. It's I got it. the shit slapped out of me from my mom. Because, you know, when she was on the phone and that scene came on and I just started crying. She's like, wait, you knew this was coming. <laughs> <laughs> you know this story. Because it wasn't the first. We'd, we'd seen the movie in the theater, right? So right. she's like, you knew this was going to happen. So she sent me to yeah. bed. <laughs> My son beat the shit out of me when Apollo Creed died in Rocky <laughs> Three or whatever. Oh, He's like, you oh. didn't tell me somebody was going to die in one of these fights. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, when I was a kid, death was kind of hard to deal with. Death in movies was like, no matter who died, and you know, no matter what movie, it was like, you know, it was really, it was really disturbing. Um, still, well, still, the most impactful one for me uh, is to live and die in L.A. Really, I still haven't rewatched that. I you said I, that before. That's not the when, first time you said that. Yeah, and I, when, and I meant when, to rewatch it just to see it. And when I William haven't. Peterson gets killed, and I'm like he's the main guy he can't you just killed the main guy and the movie's got like 20 minutes left what the you can't do that I'm like that's not how this works yeah. <laughs> that's not how any I don't of think this I, works i don't think i ever saw that i don't think i ever saw that scene i do know that i was watching it with my mom and then i i think i had to go to bed you know whatever so she finished watching it and so i was like what happened at the end and she was like oh he died and i and i i remember that news shocked the hell out of me it's like what do you mean he died <laughs> you know these those guys aren't supposed to die like there's a guarantee there's a there's a written contract that we're supposed to be able to get to the end of these things <laughs> and that's the movie that got uh willem dafoe into a platoon not uh streets of fire it's crazy <laughs> no yeah <laughs> that's on netflix now i was thinking about watching it i've never seen it it is you, you've never movie. seen it late no, I, never I saw that movie four times in the theater when it came out because I my I was it's a crazy was, movie at the time at the time when because that you movie, had no friends at the time of that movie came out. I was hanging around with a group of like four or five girls and they absolutely loved that soundtrack. And so we they would like, let's go see Streets of Fire again. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And so Diane ended, Lane. Yes. Yes. Young Diane. Yes. Young, Ellen Aim and the attackers. <laughs> Diane Lane does almost the exact same role in a movie a couple years earlier. Um, I wish I could remember the name, but Here Come the Smithereens or something. It's uh, got a title like that, where she's the lead singer of a rock band. It's a very famous. Uh, Here come uh, the the fabulous stains. Here come the fabulous stains. That's a something like I've heard that. that. Wow, fabulous stains. It, yeah, the band is called the Fabulous Stains, and she's the lead singer of it. And it's basically a prototype for what she did in Streets of Fire. Um, it's actually um, an interesting feminist manifesto film. It's good, but it's no. it's not very well edited. That's the main thing. I we lost Latham. So, yeah, he just <laughs> talking about Fabulous think, Stains. Uh... He's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the Fabulous Stains. Thank you, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, the Fabulous Stains. Who directed so you... that? Somebody of note, I don't remember who. Though. Somebody of note, Lou, Some, Lou, somebody. Lou Adler. <laughs> uh, I Lou can Adler. look it up. I just thought someone knew, but 
time. I just like someone to note. I don't know somebody. Yeah, we're, somebody we're, who makes movies. We're made all it. just hearing about the film for the first time, except for Darren, and, and Lathan expects us to know who directed it. You well, know, I, I went I through this period. Myself, but... I went through this period where um, people kept turning me on to. Um, Hold on one second, Darren. He only directed two movies, Lay. You know what his other movie was? What? Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke. <laughs> oh, boy. Lou Adler. So I, I went through this period where I was really into to, to feminist cinema. Ladies and gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, Variety, Smithereens. Uh, I, I watched a lot of those films under recommendations from others, and I, I really enjoyed them. I particularly like Variety, um, which features the very first role by Louis Guzman actually so oh wow see wow. an 18 year old louis guzman that's the film to see that's but going back he's probably all is. crazy thin he is he's thin and and has a quaff and it's like seeing lords <laughs> fishburn in apocalypse now and you're like you don't yeah. even recognize him no like baby yeah oh see that's a movie i forgot about i watched the ice road i forgot to tell you about it the cinematical in the, in the consumption oh. I was bored out of my skull, and I just watched Ice Road, and I don't know why. Did it? <laughs> did it? Did it fill the gap? No, <laughs> no. Actually, and something happened in it that pissed me off so badly that I was, you know. So I guess the movie worked because I was, I was really annoyed that did they you made see a the, Did you choice. see the one that came out? Crazy with, movie. The one that came out with Liam Neeson before that. The one about he's uh, he's a snow, he drives a snowplow like up in Alaska somewhere. It's a remake of a, of a Norwegian film that starred Stellan Skarsgård in that role. What's he doing in all these snow movies? Like, yeah, is, he, I, is he just tired of the, the tropical climate? It's, it's probably like, <laughs> I'm up here. I'm, you know, I, I'll just schedule. Give me all your snow he called script. his agent. Yeah. Give me another one. Me <laughs> I'm another, not leaving. Get me another snow script in Alaska. <laughs> you got a Christmas movie? Let's shoot it while we're up here. Yeah. I have a very particular set of skills. <laughs> Shoveling snow skills. is one of them. Snowy skills. <laughs> You're running a snow plow. That's what I want to do. But it was good. To, the, the reason you reminded me is because Lawrence Fishburne just turns up in it. Like, he's just there. <laughs> and I'm like, what the devil Lawrence Fishburne in What this are movie you doing for? here, Lawrence Fishburne? Yeah. <laughs> Did he exactly. drive the red I plow think... or the blue plow? <laughs> he, he drove the red truck. That's so you, you thought you were making a joke, but yeah, actually I he did. drove the red truck. I made a joke. I made one. He drove the blue truck. Excuse me. Liam Neeson drove the red truck. Okay. He's got to drive the. He's. He, it's important to put him in the red truck. Understood. Yep. Yep. Very good. Yep. Darren, thank you so much, pal. <laughs> no problem. I'll Darren, watch the ice road. Yeah. <laughs> That's my payback. That's payback for watching. Go watch the paper tigers. That, yeah. That's yeah, it's the only one you need to worry about. I mean, we obviously know Darren's going to be on for Scaramental, right? Uh, I actually did not have him penciled in for Scaramental, but because uh, honestly, his next two films that's aren't just going to be... encourage him. Encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> he was on. He, he was on... encouraging, buddy. <laughs> I believe uh, you were on Scaramental with us last year. Were you not? It was, was December, first... so it was probably was, after that. But that your I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, I will listen. I guarantee I'll listen and I won't subject you to any horror during that. But, um, no, but, you were uh, not. Okay. Feel free in the future. I'm, I swear to God, I'm going to suggest something funny eventually. Oh my he's God, never, please. <laughs> he's never done a bad movie like Bottom Three podcast, like that Drek fucking, uh, whatever the fuck. Six String uh, Samurai. 
Dreamcatcher. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, Dreamcatcher. I dude, I'm telling you, there's a good movie hiding there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's hiding there really well there's, though. There's a good movie oh, hiding in Dreamcatcher. It's yeah. it's hiding it's damn to, good in that movie though. Pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's hiding as well as the Oak Island treasure, okay? You ain't never going to find it. Well, I'll tell you what. The worst film I've ever seen is Graffiti Bridge. So oh, when I recommend that. Wow. All right. Yeah. Love, love, love that that's the worst. Yeah. yeah I love Purple bad. Rain. Purple Rain's amazing. Graffiti Bridge. What the hell? What about Under the Cherry Moon? <laughs> well, there are moments. I That salvages a little bit. Okay. It, Graffiti Bridge, there are no moments. There's only the, <laughs> I'm on a set, and we're just trying Graffiti, to get That's his last one, right? Yeah. I think Under the Cherry Moon was the second one after Purple Rain. I think you're you wasn't it? right. Yeah, you might be Okay. Right. Wow. Because people people panned Under the Cherry Moon. So yeah, for everybody to have a visceral reaction to Graffiti Bridge, that's yeah. like, holy shit. I, yeah. I, I only saw Purple Rain. That's the only Prince movie I've seen. That's, that is... And sign of the times, brilliant. But uh, yeah, but that's a concert movie, right? That's mostly true. Yeah, but still brilliant. Yeah, I love well, the album. Is brilliant. That album is. Yeah. Is, you know. Oh my god, that album kick ass. But uh, the uh, that's yeah. the first concert I ever saw was the Purple Rain concert in the when mm-hmm. I was in Los Angeles with my mom. We went wow. to see that. Yeah, that's quite she's, a feather. She lied. She said we were going to see Rockwell. <laughs> Uh, remember Mark Rockwell with oh my watching God. me? Of course, somebody yeah. was watching you. Yeah, and so we went in there, and we found out it was Prince, and I freaked out. It was like it was a great night. Although you know there was there was I was exposed to many things at a Prince concert that perhaps a child of my age shouldn't have been exposed to. But uh, it was an amazing concert. concert. Was uh, Marvin Hamlish? So you beat me there. So oh, yeah. Marvin Hamlish played a special show, and I I went to see it at seven or something so oh seven years old yeah that's 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 pretty stuff (laughs) i just wanted to hear the spy who loved me so (laughs) (laughs) nobody does which reminds me i just uh i just had to email lucky mckee so i can get his picks for next week oh yeah well uh what was his uh big film woman with the woman uh well i mean his i mean honestly i think what people still know him best for is may Oh yeah, oh yeah. But then uh, he's had a bunch of movies since then, um, and he's uh, he's produced a bunch, a handful as well of like some really interesting stuff. Like uh, he was a co-producer on uh, the Man Who Killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Have you seen Love that? that title? I no, but I've seen the. Oh my god! If you get to take the, the time, that that film is beautiful. Just an just a beautiful. I'm Sam Elliott is just beyond. You know what you each should do? Because I think I'm Facebook friends with all of you. you. You each should send me six choices of your own that I work through in order to even this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Wow. Oh, that's a challenge. challenge have you seen accepted. the movie Tequila Sunrise? I have. And okay. there's a great song by the church in that. And I'm a big fan of the church. So I, uh, that's my. There. What song is that? Uh uncomplicated un- what is it un uh unsubstantiated unsubstantiated yeah is the, tequila sunrise. the uh tequila sunrise is the only film that i can watch over and over back to back and never get sick of wow that's a good so weird it's such a weird movie choice but for whatever reason it is that i never get sick of that movie i've seen that movie 
probably as many times as I've seen. Okay. Probably not as many times as I've seen <clears throat> platoon or alien, but close. That's probably oh, wow. the, that's probably the third most watched film in my, in my catalog. Holy shit. Well, each of you send me a couple of picks and I'll drink a tequila sunrise and watch tequila sunrise. <laughs> there okay, you go. Darren, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Perfect. Please do. <laughs> All right, Darren. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Have a great night, everybody. Enjoy. You too, sir. We'll talk soon. Thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all of our previous episodes. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy our podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at cinementalpod. For Asan Godwin, Latham Conger III, Darren Callahan, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and ghost hunting coroner, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.